Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to two places. Uh, we'll be in Acts 15, but I also want you to flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, and then put a place marker there, then you can go to uh, Acts 15. Uh, as you can tell by my uh, voice, I'm a little bit under the weather, a little bit of allergies. I can hear much coughing in here. And so a few days ago, I thought I was going to be able to try to come give my best Barry White impression, but it's kind of getting clearing up now. But a couple of days ago, it was pretty, pretty raspy, and I was excited about it. Anyway, uh, anyway, a uh, couple of announcements. If you're a guest with us, thanks so much for being here uh, with us this morning. Uh, you should have got uh, one of these bulletins when you came in. Uh, if you did not, there would be some more in the back. Uh, on the bottom of this, there's a little I'm new here section. There's a QR code you can scan if you want to fill that out uh, digitally. Uh, it comes straight to my email, or you can fill that out and drop it off and offer or in the giving boxes in the back. I'm still so Baptist. Oftentimes, I, in my mind, because I was a youth pastor at First Elsa for so long, I always did this part, and naturally, I say just put it in the offering plates when they come by. Uh, and so it's just so anyway, subconscious there. Uh, anyway, tear that out, put it in the uh, boxes in the back. This is just a way that we can get to know you and then answer any questions you may have, you can put on the back. A few other announcements. Uh, small groups are still going. If you have a sign up for a small group, it is not too late. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you sign, uh, you can just put your name on there and, a pa and your contact information and a pastor uh, get in touch with you. Uh, October the 1st, we're having a starting point. Uh, and so starting point is kind of our path to membership. Uh, you don't just automatically become a member by coming to starting point. But what it is, it's an it's a orientation, it's a class where we get together and kind of talk about the DNA of who we are, uh, what how we operate as a church, what does it look like to be a member of Cross Point. Uh, then after that, uh, you have the opportunity uh, to join. So maybe uh, you've been kind of hanging out with us and you want to really know more details. This class is for you. Also, I'll say this. Uh, I know many churches that do this. Maybe you've been a member of Cross Point for a long time. You just kind of want to refresh on who we are. You're also welcome to come to Starting Point as well. We will have a meal there. Uh, child care will be provided. Just uh, please let us know. sign up by September the 24th. You can sign up by scanning this QR code on the bottom. Uh, and then there's a section where you can write a comment and just type in starting point there and we'll be in contact with you. Uh, we have been made aware of the awesome opportunity to be able to serve one of our sister churches here in Jones County. Uh, Sand Hill uh, Baptist Church contacted us and asked if they, if they have a, a family meeting or a member meeting following their service this evening and their child care workers are members so they need people, they need uh, people to come and help serve in their kids so that those child care workers go to the meeting. And so it's a pretty suppressing thing. And so they called us and asked if we can get 10 uh, volunteers. I think we need four more, Luke. And so if you're, it's from 545 to 715 this evening. If you're available for that, please see Luke immediately after the service and he'll get you all the details there. Uh, I'll remind you, parents, so last year, I mean, last week we uh, made available an outline for kids. Uh, it's in the truth section over here, and so it so just helps them be more engaged into the sermon and begin to the, the, develop the discipline of taking notes uh, near sermons. So those are made, those are in the truth section. Uh, also, I saw on the table, the people in place, there is a uh, sheet for kids ministry where we need volunteers where they need, where we need help. And so if you uh, feel led in any way to help in our kids' ministry. There, there if you go out in the foyer on the table, there's a, uh, a calendar there with red circles where we need spots filled, and so please help us out there. All right, I think that's all I've got announcement-wise. Awesome. In Acts chapter 15, 
Uh, this morning, we're going to be in chapter, uh, beginning of verse 22, and I will go through, to, through verse 35. And so, uh, I want to remind you of something that we've seen through the book of Acts. And so, a few weeks ago, whenever we were launching back in Acts, I preached a sermon really trying to summarize the first 14, uh, 14 chapters uh, where we'd been in Acts so far. And if you remember, maybe you don't, but maybe you do, uh, I, I preached through that there were three certainties that the that Theophilus would have had in reading Luke's letter, and us as a church, there are three certainties that we can have in um, reading the book of Acts. Those certainties were, number one, was that Jesus is alive, that he's risen, he's ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is soon to return. That is something that we could be certain of. The second thing was, is that the Holy Spirit had descended, that he is active, that he indwells and equips and empowers every believer to do that which God has called them to do. The third is that that we could be certain that God has sent the church to preach the gospel, build the church, and live bold and faithful lives. There is a fourth certainty that I did not list in there that we're reading the book of Acts that we can be certain of when we read it. Not only can we be certain that Jesus is alive, the Spirit has been uh, descended, and that the church has been sent out, but we can understand this by reading the book of Acts, is that when God is at work, so is our enemy. That no matter what happened, when the church began to advance, the enemy began to uh, try his schemes as well. We've seen it all the way through. If you go into Acts chapter 4, you can, you can kind of skim through. Whenever Peter and John healed the lame man going to the temple, what happens? They are arrested. And then you see it uh, in Acts chapter 5, whenever... Uh, whenever Peter and John were released and the enemy realized that they couldn't quiet them down, then the, the attack was from the outside. Then we see that the attack became from the inside with the, with the lies of Ananias and Sapphira. So, Sapphira. Then if you continue thumbing through, you get to Acts chapter 7, whenever Stephen is up preaching and then uh, the uh, the, the religious leaders ultimately end up stoning him, right? Uh, and then you see it in chapter 8 with Paul ravaging the church. Whenever God was at work, so was the enemy. You see it in chapter 12, whenever uh, uh, James is killed and Peter is in prison. We see it uh, in chapter 13, even on the first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas got there, they met a guy named Bar-Jesus who was trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. No matter, we can be certain of this, if the, if the Lord is at work, so will the enemy be. Even in our own life, if the Lord is at work in your own life, please be aware that the enemy will be at work in your life as well. And so I want to remind you this, that chapter 15 that we've been in the past few weeks sits in the middle between the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey. And it's not there by happenstance, I do not believe. First of all, I want to remind you that this whole Jerusalem council was... Uh, because people had went to Antioch and began to preach a false gospel, right? I want to remind you of the people at the church of Antioch, okay? Real quick. We first learned about them in chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, flip back to chapter 13 real quick, and I'll read where we first hear about them. Sorry, not chapter 13, uh, chapter 11. In chapter 11, in verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and, and where? Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who uh, on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus uh, to find Saul, or to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, they met people, met with the church, and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So, when the first thing we have about Antioch, there's people that were they were Hellenists, they weren't Jews, if you will, and they they believed in the Lord Jesus, like they they trusted in Jesus, and they they were followers of Christ, if you will. And they met Barnabas when, and and then he went and got Saul, and they came and they taught them the Word of God for over a year, and it's the first place in which they were called Christians. Everybody with me? And then not only that, but remember the famine that came to Jerusalem. Who was it that sent relief to the church in Jerusalem? The church of Antioch. Bear with me. This was, so when we get to chapter 15 and we see these people who were troubled by this false teaching, our first interactions with them were there are people who, who trusted in Jesus and they loved God's people. Bear with me. The next time we see them is in chapter 13. It says, now there were in the church at where? Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who they called Niger, Lucius, a Cyrene, a Menea, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So what we know about the church at Antioch before we get to chapter 15 is that there were people who had trusted in Jesus that they love God's people, and it was, they, it was this church in which God spoke to and sent out missionaries to the first missionary journey. Everybody with me? And so my principle here is that when God is at work, so is the enemy. These weren't people who were just entering. These are people who God had been working through. These are people in which who had trusted and given their life under the lordship of Christ that, that had sent... Uh, relief to the church in Jerusalem and people that, that had sent out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. They loved the word, they loved the church, they loved God's people. And it was this church in which was being harassed by the false teaching that added legalism to the gospel of grace. It's important for us to see that, that when the enemy, when the God's at work, the enemy's at work. And this is what I, what I see, is, is, is you see the certainty of this, that our enemy, and what I might say our enemy, the devil, Satan, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. I think oftentimes we give him too much credit. Yes, he's powerful, but he's not omniscient. What you see in the book of Acts is he is reacting to what God is doing. Right, So he tries to disrupt Jerusalem church by, by pressure from the outside or from, from sin within. He can't get them, so then God begins to use this Gentile church that's reaching the nations for the kingdom, for the glory of the Lord. And what's he going to do? He's going to try to disrupt them. He's not omniscient. He's reactionary to what the, what's going on and what God is doing. So in our lives, we understand the enemy isn't God. The enemy, we give him way more power than oftentimes we should. That He's, he's, he's playing, like he, he's not even on the same field, if you will. But it reacts to what God is doing. So never be surprised if God is working in your life, then the temptations of your flesh also rise up. And don't be surprised. I know this isn't in the text, but this is a principle that whenever God is at work in your life, that your family begins to be attacked. 
Hey, don't be surprised by the fiery trials, as Peter would call it, whenever the enemy attacks when God's at work, because that's what we see in the book of Acts over and over again. But rest assured, we see that he is always going to fail. Anyway, that's by way of introduction. So the last two weeks... We have been in Jerusalem. So there are false teachers, if you haven't been here, there are false teachers that, that came down from Jerusalem that were not sent out from the, by the church, but they went under the church's name, if you will, to these Gentile areas, Antioch and these other places that are listed. And what they began to do is to tell Gentiles, uh, if, if, if Christianity is the living room, then, then Judaism is the front porch. You have to come through Judaism to get to the living room. You have to become a Jew in order to truly be a Christian. So therefore, if you have been circumcised, you have to be circumcised. You ultimately have to be Jew in order to be a Christian. They began to add to the gospel of grace. So the last two weeks, Luke has walked through the council. And last week, he walked through how Peter stood and began to teach how God had worked in the Gentiles. Uh, then, we, then we saw that Saul and Barnabas, mostly Paul, but they began to speak about what God had done. Then ultimately we see James, uh, the, the old man here, began to speak and use scripture to say yes. And they've come to an agreement that we saw at the end of last week. So look at verse 22. I'll read through verse 35. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. I could pause there for a moment. That's pretty impressive. Not only were the apostles and the elders on the same page, but the whole church was on the same page. Pretty beautiful picture of being led by the Holy Spirit. It says, to the, uh, to, that it seemed good to them to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they <clears throat> sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, the leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. So they decide to write a letter and send not only Paul and Barnabas with it, but they sent two of their own. We see Silas, is who we will see throughout, definitely in the next second missionary journey. <coughs> Sorry. We'll see him in the missionary journey, Judas, Barsabbas. We really don't hear much of him, but they sent two of their own. And these weren't just random. They were leading men among the church. So they decide to send a letter with them. And this is what the letter says. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, and to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to, what an incredible statement to be able to say. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves, notice that underline that word if, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. See you later. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they, when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. 
And Judas and, and Silas, were they, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they sent off in peace. By, <laughs> so I saw this this morning. I read this text a hundred times this week. Uh, but well, let me read it. It says, and after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who sent them. This is pretty funny. So it's, it's it, in Jewish tradition, whenever they were leaving, they would shalom. And so these Gentile church, whenever the, 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 the Jews were headed back, they shalomed them. Uh, and anyway, so they sent them off in peace. Uh, I giggled to myself this morning. But anyway, verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. We pray now uh, that you open our eyes so that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may believe and trust in you. And that that will propel our feet to obedience. God, give us a, a greater love for your gospel and a greater love for your church and an even greater love for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the text, I believe, breaks really into three different ways, and I'm only going to spend most of my time in the first one, but what we see in the text, first of all, the letter was re recorded. They actually written, they actually wrote a letter. Uh, secondly, we see that the letter was delivered, and then finally that the letter was uh, read and received. So if you're taking notes, number one, the letter uh, recorded. Let's look at the contents of this letter that they wrote. So first of all, we see in verse 23 that there was a word of unity. So whenever they wrote this letter, check out how they address them. Verse 23 it says, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to what? The brothers who are in the Gentile, uh, who, are, who are brothers who are of the Gentiles. So the first thing that we see in this letter, there was a, it was a word of unity. Not only are they writing them a letter to tell them, you don't have to add to the gospel, they're calling them brothers. They're calling them, like, they're, they're the same. And so you have these people who, just the beginning of this chapter, didn't have a hard time with this. Now, upon the, the Holy Spirit's leadership and the Holy Spirit's uh, leadership in their life, now they're calling these people brothers. So first of all, you see that there's a word of unity. And then secondly, you see that there's a word of of comfort and clarity. Look at verses 24 and 25. This is kind of, I'm going to spend a little time here. So, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So one, the first thing that they do here, not only did they call them brothers, they want to tell them, hey, those people, we didn't send them. There's a sense in which they're calling out the false teachers, saying, they're not of us. But there's some care there, because look at the words they use. First of all, he says that there are some that come out, come out from us that have troubled you. That this teaching that they taught you is troubling you. And this isn't like a lie word. It, it, it gives a picture of like severely hurt or, or deep down. There's a, there's a pain that is caused. So think about it. Here is this group of people who just a few chapters earlier had never heard the name of Jesus. They come, they hear the gospel, they, they, they respond and they believe in Jesus, right? They have hope for the first time in their life then God uses them to take care of the church in Jerusalem. And then God chooses to, out of their midst to send people out on the first missionary journey where churches are now being planted all across their known world. Then all of a sudden, somebody comes and tells them, but you're not really a Christian because you have not done this. It troubled them. 
It troubled their hearts, a deep anguish, if you will. And this troubling your hurt, uh, troubling your heart and your mind is all, and most of the time in Scripture, definitely that word is connected to a false teaching, if you will. That is a false teaching that specifically in salvation that, that's not just a head thing, it troubles. We see it twice in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, 5 through 7, Paul writes this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but here's. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What we see in this text and throughout Scripture is that it's one thing to believe differently on non-essential things. But when we get the gospel wrong, it causes trouble, like deep down trouble. Definitely whenever we begin to add to it, it's troubling to the person who's hearing that. In Galatians 5.10, Paul writes, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So here it is. You see a big issue in distorting the gospel by the word they use that troubled them. It causes deep turmoil in the heart. Why? why? I'm going to chase legalism for a moment. I know we settled it, but why, why does it cause so much turmoil when we add Jesus plus something? Because you and I can't achieve it. It's unattainable. And no matter if we're operating in a, in a, in a, in a, mold, in a head, a head, a head space or, or a driving force, I have to earn something. I have to maintain something. It's going to be troubling in our hearts because we can't achieve it, attain it, or maintain it. And so you have people who came into the church by faith through grace alone, and now they're troubled because somebody told them they weren't good enough yet to use our words. And so maybe you're a follower, this applies, and maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you operate in a, in a mindset in which you say, I've got to do X, Y, Z, and deep down there is no peace and joy in your heart of, of knowing the Lord, and it's because you've, maybe you've attached things to your relationship with Christ that shouldn't be there. It's troubling. It opposes grace. Did you know there's only one letter that Paul wrote in which he did not start with a commendation or a word of encouragement? Even to the Corinthians in their crazy ways who were <laughs> moral failure all over the landscape, he still started with a word of encouragement. There's only one letter in which he did not start. It was the, it was the book of the letter to the Galatians. Why? Because he wasn't dealing with morality. He was dealing with salvation. He was dealing with doctrine that was being taught. He, had, he could be more compassionate on a church that couldn't live their life right, but he could not be compassionate on distorting the gospel because it troubles the heart and the mind. John Newton, I read this in, in a commentary. John Newton said this about that Paul was a reed in non-essentials and an iron pillar in the essentials. And what a prayer for me and you that these things that are non-essentials would be like a reed. When it comes to the essentials, we're an iron pillar. And that's what you see here and in Paul and, and, and in this letter is that, hey, this false teaching, it, it, uh, we know it hurt. It, it deeply bothers you. But then he adds more. It says this, unsettling your minds. 
subverting your minds. This word is a, it's a military term that speaks to like looting villages, like completely wiping out villages, like a, a military force would come in and they would dismantle the whole village and then they would, they would literally rob everything that was in there. That's the word he's using for the unsettling of your minds, that this false teaching ultimately was robbing your mind from the riches of grace. Like with the riches that these pagans, these Hellenists that were experiencing in grace, because they, they had no hope, they didn't seek after God, God sought after them. He, they believed in him, trusted in him, gave their life to him, began to take care of people who looked down on them. God used to send out the missionary journeys. They were experiencing the riches of grace and this false teaching, specifically legalism, were robbing them from the riches that they had experienced in grace. That's why we have to be so careful with the gospel, the essentials, because what we add to it or take away robs it of its richness. <clears throat> Legalism, in essence, steals the riches of grace. These Gentiles had become rich in grace and power and love, and we're not, and then they were unsettled in their hearts and minds. It's the danger of legalism. And I got ahead of myself, but even for us today, if we operate from legalism, then we're robbing ourselves from experiencing the joys of grace. We're operating in an Old Testament mindset, if you will, that says, do this and you will be blessed. In the, in the new way, in the new covenant, you are blessed, so therefore we operate this way. We don't do it to, 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 to get out of it. It is that the blessing is doing it and being able to be a part of it. So we see there's a word of comfort and clarity. Hey, we know that this teaching, it disturbs your heart and your mind. We know that God was using you and you're in fellowship with in the riches of grace and this legalism, it was robbing you from that. So there's a word of comfort. But there's also clarifying saying, but hey, those dudes, we didn't send them. And there comes a time in which even as churches that Whenever there's false teaching, false teaching has to be called out. Definitely when, definitely when that false teaching is hurting the brethren. When that false teaching is causing harm to the hearts and minds of those who have really trusted in Jesus, then it has to be just, hey, that's not of us. And I give you our, <laughs> my word, and we will always defend the truth of Scripture. And whenever it begins, becomes distorted, abused, or used as power struggles, we will call it out, and you have permission to call us out on the same thing. The third or fourth, whatever number it is, the content of this letter is that there's a word of cooperation. So first of all, look at verse 25. We didn't send them, but I'm telling you who we are going to send. These are people who are our representatives. First of all, verse 25, it seemed good for us to choose, uh, come to one accord to choose men. So first of all, they sent Barnabas and Paul back, which these are the pastors of the church in Antioch, right? These are the people who had taught them. These are the same people. And so if they just come with the letter, then the Judaizers come back and said, of course, that's what Paul and Barnabas said. They're of you. They don't, they don't want you to know the truth. But so who else is the church sent? It says, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. So we didn't send these guys, but I'll tell you who we are going to. We're going to send Paul and Barnabas back to you, and we're going to send two of our own, two of our leaders. And there is, there is cooperation, but a greater cooperation, we see it. Uh, 
In verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. You see this, this unity, this cooperation between Paul and Barnabas, Judas, Silas, the church in Jerusalem, and, but it says the Holy Spirit and to us. It wasn't a decision that was made by just Paul and Barnabas or the Jerusalem church. It was under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing that you see through the book of Acts over and over again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit or led by the Spirit. The Spirit spoke. You see that the, the Spirit's involvement in the early churches, that they, they moved as the Spirit Led. So there's a, there's a cooperation there. Then there's a word of wisdom. We saw it last week whenever James says this. If you look back, you can see a little bit of change he specifies in a letter. But in, in chapter 15, uh, verse 20, But we should write to them to abstain from things that are polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from what has been strangled, and what from blood. And so when we get to the letter, it says in verse 29 that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So I believe here that in, in this instructions, it was not a law that they were laying on them. I think it was wisdom in which they were giving to them. And so what I want to do for a little bit this morning is talk kind of through these. First of all, let's get the, the easy one out. It says abstain from sexual immorality, right? That's not just a, like, that's all, that, the word there, like, all of, all things that are sexual fortification, like, it's, it's included, it's, it's, it's the total, and obviously we understand, and this also help us, whenever I, I study this week, it help us understanding what, what we believe the Bible says about something. So they take any topic and say, what, what do we believe the Bible says about that? We can't necessarily just take one verse that says something about it because there may be other verses in the Bible that say something different. You with me? So you have to go use the whole scripture to, to develop a doctrine or a belief. And so take sexual morality. It's easy because you know what the Bible says? Stay away from it. And what it means by that, anything that is outside of the definition and the confines of which God has designed is these things. So no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, from cover to cover, we flee those things. That is sin. To, do, to, ha to participate in any, any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage, the way that God has designed it, it is sin. So he says, abstain from those. And guess what? Paul says it over and over again all through the letters. We, I, 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 I tried to get a count this morning, but there's too many of it. How many times it says, stay away, abstain from, sexual morality is a sin, it's the works of the flesh, it's the, it's the fruits of the flesh, stay away from it. All right, so check. They... As, as Christians in general, Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian, we should abstain from that. Everybody with me? Check. Next, he says, food that has been uh, sacrificed to idols and from, oh, I'll say this also. Uh, you say, just that seems weird for them to tell the Gentiles that. Don't all people know sexual morality? Well, the, Jew, the Gentiles are a lot like our present day and age, in which the Jews had scripture that told them what God's design for marriage was. Gentiles didn't have that. So what was so obviously they used sexual acts in their worship to pay pagan gods. That's not, I don't think, what he's talking about. That would be an obvious thing. If I become a Christian, I'm not going to sacrifice the pagan idols anymore. You with me? But for them, Sex was, I can have sex with whoever I want to. Sorry, I know that I'll stop saying that word. Uh, you know, looking at me like, quit, there's so many kids in here. Uh, there's a, kids, there's a box on there. Anyway, uh, you can ask your parent. Uh, 
But not only that, but they would also marry who they wanted to. So it was no, nothing for a Gentile to be married to a cousin or an in-law or whatever. And so what they're saying, so just that seems weird they would add that. Well, they're, what they're saying is all sexual immorality, not just the actual acts of it, but even what we view as marriage. And we can expound upon that later. But uh, So obviously we understand that one. The next, food sacrificed to idols from blood and strangled. And this is why I believe, and Luke and I are in agreement here, that this wasn't like a law for them. That this was wisdom, because here we're speaking not, uh, not salvific, uh, but in unity of the body. And that's why I said it would be good for you in, 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 the, in, the, in the realm of church unity that you would abstain from these things. Notice he didn't say abstain from continuing to offer sacrifices, because obviously they probably would do that. What they're saying is abstain from the food that you would eat if that food was offered to sacrifice, offered in sacrificial worship. It's not that they would continue that, but it's that, hey, your Jewish brother, it's going to be tough to sit at the table with him with this. Ultimately, it's, it's like this, that the, the same spirit that freed the Gentile from their sin is the same spirit that will call them to deny their freedom for the sake of unity. You follow me? Right, so they were freed from pagan worship and everything about it. But here the Spirit is calling them to deny some of their liberties for the sake of unity. Um, so we ask, we ask this question, is it a law or is it wisdom? Because like we can do with sexual morality, we can walk through the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says about sexual morality. This is what the Bible says about pagan worship. But what about the food? Does it say the same thing here all the way through? And I'm glad you asked, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is Paul who would have taken that letter to the church at Antioch and said, hey, this is what we, we agree and agree and said you should abstain from eating this food. You get to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what Paul writes about food here. It says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something and he does not yet, he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Here we go. Verse 4. Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, for there is no, no God but one. So ultimately what he's saying is, the food that's sacrificed to idols, the idol's not a God anyway. It doesn't matter. Like, we understand that the, the, the idol itself is, 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 is nothing. And so keep reading. It says, For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet us, for us there is one God, the Father from all things, and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom all are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as offered, as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. Here it is. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you uh, who have knowledge... Eating in the idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If, it, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. So by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, 
and the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if God makes my brother stumble, if, sorry, if my food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And so this is why I see that this, that they're writing to the Antioch church is just the wisdom, because later on Paul would say, listen to me, that food that's offered to idols, it, it doesn't matter. The, the question, John MacArthur says this, the question is, is not, is it right or is it wrong, but who does it affect? Who, who is it that it would be harmed by this continuing of this or eating of this? <clears throat> there's limits, ultimately, what we see, there's limits to Christian liberty. Like, like I think that in Scripture, there are black and white things that we do or do not do, Right? Like there are things that we can read the scriptures in and go, for a believer, we abstain from sexual immorality, right? That's in the text, it's all through the Bible. We do these things, we don't do these things. But let's be honest, there's a whole lot of gray areas that the Bible does not speak to when it comes to how I live my life and how I interact with people, right? Anybody, is that just me that thinks that there's some things that the Bible doesn't clearly say, in this situation, you should do this? I wish it was like that. It'd be a whole lot easier, right? But it's not that way. That there are some in which I know I'm not to do. There's some that I know I should do. But there's other times it's like, I don't really know. There's some non-essentials, right, that you and I may disagree on. They're not the essential thing, but we, we may believe something different because it's, it's a gray area. Like, alcohol, or you fill in the blank. There are things in which we may believe differently on that are our liberties. We're free, but at times we sacrifice them for the sake of unity. And so this week when I was studying, I found a really cool thing that can help us out. So the, I, was, I was reading some John MacArthur stuff, and, and he preached a sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and in there he He's talking about these gray areas. How do we know what to do, when to do it in those gray areas that it's not black and white? So anyway, I printed it off. We made a version of it, and we printed it off. It's in the truth section right here. But it's, it's seven questions we ask ourselves in those gray areas that are making those decisions. I think it would be super beneficial for you if you've ever struggled with that. How do I operate? How do I know whenever I can enjoy my liberty and when there are times I need to deny my liberty? Uh, and so anyway, get to that. But ultimately, there are things that are black and white. There's things that are gray. And how do we navigate them? And here's the thing is that we see in this text is that unity always trumps liberty. That the church being unified is a greater importance than the individual member getting to enjoy their liberty. So, Justin, it just seems like they're still infringing on them a little bit. Did you see their response when they read the letter? What does it say? Look at, this is the letter was read and received. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Like, in our mind and uh, in our 2023 mind and churches and things like that, it's all about many times as, as churches and individuals, we are defined by our liberties. Yeah, oh, yeah, we believe this. We believe we can do this and this, that, and the other where... We must be defined by our unity. So we see in this text is that they're calling them, and listen, the, the Gentiles were like, 
Yes. But what we see is like, they're telling, they're putting legal. No, they weren't. They're saying, listen to me, it would be good for you because greater is it to be in the household and the family of God than just get to do what you want to. This is much greater than this. It's, it's the, the, what unites us, the essentials that unite us is so much greater, so much more of a blessing than the non-essentials that could divide us. So let's always choose the essential. Let's always come to terms and unity in the essentials. And he says, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So we see the, the content of the letter, what you see in the Jerusalem church, and it works both sides. What I love about it is the Jerusalem church, not only did they call them, they called them brothers. They sent some of their own, but here's something that we'll learn. Not only did they send Silas to deliver the letter, they also sent him with Paul to go preach in Gentile areas. And so what you see is that for the Jerusalem church, they chose mission over tradition. So in one sense, you have some who were choosing unity over liberty, and the others are choosing God's mission over their own tradition. You see this beautiful laying down of freedoms, if you will, so that the church would be unified. So the letter was read and received. It says this, verse 30, so when they sent, they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and they gathered the congregation together and they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, as in they spoke uh, directly from God, specifically, usually, like w that church has specific needs or something that God, they, they needed a specific word. So they stayed there and they uh, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. When they had spent time there, they sent them off in peace. They shalomed them by the brothers, those who sent them. And Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They taught the word of the Lord with many others. And so what is the take home from Acts chapter 15? There's a lot, but here I'm going to boil it down to two. The two biggest things are this go to, we should never abandon the gospel of grace. Amen. Secondly, we must lovingly preserve the unity of the body. That's what I think the heart of Acts chapter 15. Obviously, there's some church history stuff there that we can understand, but the take home is this, that the gospel is a gospel of grace, not Jesus plus anything. And we have to, have to be devoted to that. We cannot forsake that. Because we ultimately see what it does in the lives of people. Right? And maybe you yourself are a victim of a, of a gospel preaching, rather directly or indirectly, that made you feel like in order to truly be a believer, you had to operate a certain way. You added a, almost a almost savior weight on your own shoulders. And maybe you've remained faithful, but if you were to be honest, your heart's really troubled. You maybe not have experienced the peace and the joy that so many other Christians do. You see the, the, uh, the destruction in which that way of thinking can, can cause. And I want to call you to say, hey, you're saved by grace and grace alone. You're kept by grace and grace alone. You're sustained by grace and grace alone. And it is, what, it is the grace that will empower you to remain faithful, obedient, and loving of your Savior. You may, be, you may be reminded of that. Secondly, I think this is big for us. We read Acts 15, and we have to know that we have to do whatever we have to do to fight for unity within the body. 
If that means sacrificing some of my tradition, then I'll do that for the mission. If that means sacrificing some of my liberties, I'll do that for unity. The church can learn a lot from Acts chapter 15 because to both, both sides will ultimately submitting so there would be unity in God's people. Amen? If you're a guest with us here this morning, thank you so much for being here this morning. You came on a morning that we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we do this once a month, whether the third week or the fourth week. If the month is a uh, odd number, we do it the third week. If the month is an even number, we do it on the fourth week. We're pretty simple-minded, and so that's how we came up with that, that plan and that schedule. And so, uh, but anyway, this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I think it's appropriate uh, with where we've been in Acts 15 for the past three weeks uh, for us to be able to respond to that text that we all come together under one name, and that name is Jesus. And we all come to the table on the same merit, and it ain't our merit, it's his merit. It's what he has accomplished on our behalf. And so if you're a guest with us, you don't have to, Luke, you can go ahead and come up wherever you are. Uh, you, don't, if you're, if you're, you don't have to be a member uh, of Cross Point to take the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, we're not closed in that, in that manner. Uh, but we do say it, it is uh, 100% confined to somebody who's placed their faith in Jesus, that are trusting in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. And if you can say that, if you can confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're invited to take the Lord's Supper with us. And so we, we kind of go through a little, a little checklist, if you will. Uh, this is kind of the, the manner in which we take the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to preach it like I did last time. Luke preached it once, I preached it once, and now we just got to look at it. Uh, we look back in remembrance. We look up in thanksgiving. We look within to examine ourselves. We look around in unity, Acts 15, in celebration. We look forward in confident hope. And so anyway, uh, we have some small group leaders that are going to help us out. Band, you're going to start coming up too. I think Adam and Lily Trist, if y'all come over here, there's some uh, host home and small group leaders, Jessica and Braxton and Evan and Amber, if y'all come on this side. Uh, and so these are some of our small group leaders and host homes that are going to serve us the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, we good. All right, so the way we do it is in a moment, I'm going to stop talking, I promise. Eventually, I'll stop talking. Uh, I haven't preached in two weeks, so I got to get my words in. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Then after I pray, we are going to stand. And at your own timing, uh, you can come forward and take up the elements. And you go back to your seat uh, or get, get the, the COVID cups. Uh, grab those and go back to your seat. And then once I think everybody's come and gotten it, I'll come back up and we'll all partake of it together, okay? Good. All right, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we can start moving. <clears throat> Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your, for your word. <clears throat> God, we thank you that it is alive and active and powerful, that it discerns our minds and our hearts, that it corrects, that it builds up, that it is sufficient enough, God, your word is so sufficient that it may tear us down, but it can also build us back up. God, we thank you for your good word. God, we pray as we think through Acts 15 and just how thankful our hearts that they came in agreement that the gospel would be taught, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. 
that we stand here some 2,000 years later now still saying it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God, that we don't come to you, we don't approach you on our own merits, but only in the merit of your son. God, I pray for any person in here this morning who maybe has, has felt the weight or is feeling the weight of, of trying to live this life, the Christian life, in our own power, which is legalism, even if we don't realize it. God, they're feeling the weight of their own inability to be what somebody told them they had to be. God, I pray that today your grace would free them from that bondage. God, I pray if there's anyone in there that hasn't trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, that they have not confessed with their mouth that he is Lord, God, that today they would do so. God, I thank you that the gospel um, unifies the people. God, I pray if there's anything in our church that is non-essential, that is secondary or whatever you want to call it, that, that the enemy may try to use to divide us, God, that we would, we would lay those things down for the sake of unity, of the, the essentials. And I pray for all lives, God, that even we will grow wise in how to operate in the presence of our brothers and sisters, but also the world in which we live that our liberties don't become our identity, but you are. And we would operate in a way, first and foremost, for the glory of Jesus, for the edification of your people, and the building of your church. Guys, move now to take it for your Lord's Supper. God, we pray that we, we do so with a heart and mind gratitude and thankfulness and of hope. It's in Christ's name I pray. Everybody said, and you can stand and you move forward as you are ready.